class, uh, some of you missed it, about a conversation I was having with uh, a young man who was, uh, well, he was, he was talking about his uh, dislike and uh, aversion to pretty much everything Christian. Um, it, it generally comes about that when I'm talking to people, there's that moment. And when they finally get around to asking, oh, and Jeff, what do you do? And that's when it gets really quiet and awkward and weird because uh, whether they are Christian or not, that's the moment when everything changes. And, and so sometimes, though, that moment turns into a good conversation because you have someone who has legitimate questions that they've never had the opportunity to ask. And so this guy was talking to me about Christianity, and he said, it, it just doesn't make sense. The whole thing just doesn't make sense to me. You say your God made himself into a fetus and then grew up and then was tortured and killed so that he could forgive you for not doing what he told you to do in the first place. And so we talked a little bit and tried to correct a couple of the points of theology in there. But at some point when you get to the end of it, you've got to concede he's right. It doesn't make sense. It's crazy. A lot of our story is crazy. Now, I can make the case that it's the only explanation that makes sense, but it's crazy. It, it, it doesn't, in a lot of ways, make sense. See, we want a God that makes sense. We want a God that, that we can look at and go, oh yeah, I get it now. We, we want a God that, that when we look at the suffering in our world, when we look at the evil in our world, when we look at the headlines and we see all these things happening, and, and, and we look at the, the, the stuff that's going on all around us, and, and we want a God that, that, that's involved in that. And we look at those things, and, and we see the, the, the injustices in the world, and we see the hatred in the world, and we see the, the, the evil that men do to one another, and we go, why does God let that happen? Because it doesn't make sense. We want a God that makes sense. And we look at the, the disasters that happen in our world. The floods and famines and fires and, and, and hurricanes and all this stuff. And we go, why does God allow this to happen? Where is God? It doesn't make sense. We want a God that makes sense. You know, Occidental College, a 103-year-old Presbyterian college in California, not long ago removed two crosses that were that were outside of its campus chapel they removed that because that they said that faculty members were afraid they gave false signals to the community as to the nature of their commitment to christianity the the crosses on the chapel were considered too offensive to some of the people in the community around them and and because we don't want a God that's really offensive. We don't like that. We, we want him to make sense. And we also, we also want him to be a, a little less offensive. If we, could just, uh, if we could just make the whole Christianity thing a bit more inclusive. You know? If, if instead of Jesus saying, I am the only way to the Father. If we could just say, well, there's a lot of different paths. And we could all just coexist with one another and everything will be beautiful. 
Because then it would be a little less offensive. This whole Christianity's right and the rest of the world is wrong, that's just so offensive. And we just wish that, that if it wasn't, if, well, we just wish it would be a little less offensive. In our advanced modern thinking, we're not that different from Corinth. See, remember we talked about the city of Corinth. And, and the city of Corinth was positioned between two major cities, major seaports. And, and so there was constant traffic through this city. People were coming and going from all over the world. And, and Corinth was also the home to some very popular pagan temples. And, and uh, in those temples, one of those, the, the temple of Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love, there was uh, over a thousand estimated temple slaves who were involved in, in sexual actions. See, sex trafficking is nothing new. In, in this temple. And people would come through and visit that temple. And, and just like our Vegas, you know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happened in Corinth spread to the whole kingdom. The whole empire. And, and Corinth was that sin city. It was, it was that place. And Paul saw this as, man, that is a great mission field. That is a great place to plant a church. And so he did. The problem was that church had lost its bearings a little bit. It had become uh, more like the pagan culture that they lived in instead of being more like Christ. So when we first read Corinthians, we have to remember that Paul is, is responding to one of his most troublesome churches. This church, uh, again, we've talked about, is experiencing rivalries among different factions. And each of these factions thinks that they're right. Uh, it, it, is, it has adopted this social hierarchy of the culture around it. And they give preference to the wealthy and powerful at the expense of the poor and weak. And this church has adapted to this pagan culture of Corinth instead of standing against it. And we're going to pick it up this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. If you have your Bibles, our text this morning is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 18 and move through verse 25. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are dying. But to us who are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring the discernment of the discerning to nothing. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the lawyer of this world? Hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For seeing that in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom didn't know God. It was God's good pleasure through the foolishness of the preaching to save those who believe. For Jews ask for sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul says the cross is foolish. It's foolish. It's foolish and it's offensive. We miss the magnitude of that a lot of times. We miss the magnitude of this whole statement. The English translation there kind of softens up. They, they do this a lot, the, the, the English translators. They try to clean Paul up a little bit. They try to soften him a little bit because Paul's a little bit blunt, a little bit rude, and a little bit in your face. 
And the word Paul uses here is morena, uh, which is not a vaccine. It is the Greek word where we get our word moron. Now you're seeing it. Paul says the cross is moronic to the world. The, the, the wisdom of God, the, the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of this world. See, Jews didn't want to see the cross, especially associated with the Messiah. There's no way a Messiah would be associated with the cross. The cross is, is, is evil. The cross is, is violent. The cross is shameful. There's no way a Messiah would be associated with that. We miss that. We were talking about that in class this morning. We miss that because the cross has become such a part of our culture, it's not offensive anymore. If, if you walked in here this morning and we had a noose hanging from this podium, that might come close to the offense of the cross. Still, they wouldn't get it. Because the cross was offensive. It was the most horrible thing that could be done to someone in that culture. If you were on a cross, you were there because you had done something so heinous, they made you die in the most evil, vicious, violent, horrible way possible. And therefore it carried not just scorn, not just violence, but shame. It was awful. And the Jews thought the cross was shameful. That's why Paul says it's a, a stumbling block. The Jews said there's no way a Messiah could ever be associated with a cross. Those two just can't go together. Greeks didn't want to see the cross because it didn't make sense. They're looking for wisdom. They're followers of, of, of philosophers like you know Aristotle and Sophocles and all these Greek philosophers that are so important that that's what they're chasing after. They're chasing after wisdom. And, and, and the cross, the whole idea doesn't make sense. It's crazy. It's foolishness. It's, Paul says, moronic. Why would God do this? Why would God do something like that? This isn't the way the world works. Seminary professor Carla Works writes that Paul reminds the believers of the topsy-turvy nature of the cross. God chose the most shameful thing in the world because the values with which the world operates, while some have privilege and status at the expense of others, look nothing like the kingdom of God. And that just doesn't make sense to people outside the kingdom. And it's easy for us to shake our heads and go, oh, those, those foolish Corinthians, they just didn't get it. We get it. They didn't get it. But we're not that different. We accept the cross because it's become a cultural norm in the United States in a lot of ways, but, but it, we still miss the idea. We read Paul's question, where is the debater of this age? In some of your translations, it's called lawyer. But, but really, it means where is the debater of this age, the arguer of this age? And then we look at our social media, and we go, ugh, yeah, I found them. Because we're on there arguing about everything. We are on there fighting about everything. Everybody's right, and everybody else is wrong. And Paul says, where's the debater of this age, we start to remember all these arguments that we get into, maybe that we're just even watching. You know, sometimes I'm just sitting there eating the popcorn, watching the show. 
Paul says, every time we engage in these arguments, we fall into the same trap that that Corinthian church did. We let the wisdom of the culture around us have more influence on our thinking than the realization that God loves us so much that he would die for us. Has God made foolish the wisdom of our world? Like the Corinthians, we supposedly believe in the scandal of the cross. We believe in the wisdom of the cross. But Paul is reminding them and us that, that even though we've already accepted it, the, the problem with God's scandalous wisdom is that it hasn't been translated into a real part of our daily lives. We believe it, but we're not living it. And so... We get hung up in this thing where all of a sudden we, we're following all the wisdom of the world. We're espousing the wisdom of the world and we have missed the kingdom of God because it's offensive, because it's foolish, because it doesn't make sense. God uses what the world considers moronic to shame us who consider ourselves wise. It doesn't just mean the cross. God continues to favor the weak and the poor and the outcast, the marginalized. And, and unfortunately, our churches today don't always reflect that. When I was a youth minister, I got in trouble a lot. I know, it's hard to believe. But I got in trouble a lot. One time, I got in trouble because there were some people who were leaving our church they were leaving our church because they didn't want their kids hanging around with the kind of kids that were coming to our youth group. And when the elders called me in and asked me about it, they said, what do you say to that? And I said, good. That's why I got in trouble. That wasn't the answer they were looking for. But... It's not about, I want my kids to hang around with the good kids and not the bad kids. It's not about that. That's not what church is about. Church is about the weak, the poor, the marginalized, those who don't fit anywhere else. And that's why it's foolish. It's, I, I come by it naturally. My dad got in trouble when I was growing up because he was the deacon over the bus ministry in our church. And, and he drove one of the buses. He was in charge of all the buses. And, and you remember in the, in the 80s when bus ministries were a big thing, right? Some of you. I see some heads. Um, so he got cornered in church one Sunday, and the lady that was yelling at him didn't know that I was standing there. She might have done it anyway, but she told him that it was all his fault for bringing all these African-American children to our church. Now, she didn't use that word. She used a much worse word that I'm not going to use here, but you, your imagination's already got it. And, and so I get it honest, because a lot of times our churches are supposed to be a place where people have it all together. Our churches are supposed to be a place where people, people live correctly and walk correctly and act correctly. And most of the time, whoever's saying that really means more like me. I want people who are more like me. I want people who look more like me. I want people who act more like me. And the problem is that's not church. That's not the kingdom of God. Paul says the foolishness. God chose the weak things. God chose the foolish things. Look at verse 26. 
For you see your calling, brothers. Not many are wise according to the flesh, not many mighty and not many noble. But God chose the foolish things of the world that He might put to shame those who are wise. God chose the weak things of the world that He might put to shame the things that are strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the things that are despised and the things that are not that He might bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should boast before God. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus who was made to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that according as it is written, he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. See, these people were dividing over which camp they were in. I was baptized by Paul. I was baptized by Apollos. I was a follower of Peter. And and therefore, I'm better than you. Doesn't sound like American Christianity at all, does it? And, and, and in that fight, Paul says, look, you're all foolish. You're all lowly. None of you were anything apart from Jesus Christ. That's the point. This morning, I've had people tell me, I can't come to church because you don't know the things that I've done. People have told me, well, I'll come to church when I get my life together. And that's the whole opposite of church. If this morning you feel like like you don't belong because you don't have the right clothes or you don't have the right bank account or you don't have the right politics or you don't have the right life, that's who God's calling. God wants the foolish. God wants the lowly. God wants the outcasts and the ostracized and the marginalized. And He wants those to come to Christ. When we look at the world and we think, thank God I'm not like them. And you fill in whoever your them is. Thank God I'm not like them. Them are the ones that God wants. We're on the same path as Corinth when we think that way. We don't boast about how much money we can bring to the church. We don't boast about how much prestige we can bring to the church. We don't boast about how God needs me to complete the mission of the church because God doesn't need me at all. I need God. Because I can't do this on my own. I have no righteousness of my own. I am moronic. That's what Paul is saying. But praise God because God chose the moronic things. God chose the weak things. God chose the worthless things. Because saving power is not found in my strength. It's not found in my money. It's not found in my ability. Saving power is only found in Christ. Do I need to do the Bob Payne thing? That's when you're supposed to amen. Paul says, only because of God are you in Christ. Not because you were good enough or smart enough or righteous enough or holy enough. Only because of God are you in Christ. Look at verse 30. A a better translation of that verse would be, it is only because of God that you are in Christ. Wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption can only come through Christ Jesus, not through anything else. 
Not through me being good enough. Not through me being smart enough. Not through me being righteous enough or holy enough or pretty enough. Or fill in whatever blank you want to put there. It doesn't matter because God has chosen the foolish things to shame the wise. And so I can't find salvation in anything besides Jesus Christ. Not through my moral living, not through attending the right church, not through voting for the right political party. It doesn't matter. Saving power is only found in Christ Jesus. And that's nuts. That's foolishness. It's offensive. People don't want to hear that. You're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to tell people that. You're supposed to be all about coexisting, loving. Paul says, if you want to boast, stop boasting about how good you are, how smart you are, how rich you are, how whatever, and only boast in the Lord. Boast about His grace. Boast about His mercy. Boast about His perfect plan of salvation. Because He lets even morons like me in the kingdom. Praise God. That's, that's worth boasting about. That's worth getting excited about. This morning I hope you hear, because I know there are people in this room, there are people watching online, and, and you feel like you don't belong, you don't fit, you don't, you don't, you're not supposed to be here. Maybe you're just here because somebody drugged you here a friend, a family member, or whatever. Maybe you're just watching because whatever. You just thought, well, you turn it on this morning. Hey, that's not me. That's not anybody here. That's the Holy Spirit. He brought you here this morning to hear that no matter how lowly or frail or feeble or sinful or ostracized or marginalized you feel, God wants you here. God chose the foolish thing. To shame the wise. God chose the lowly things to shame the wise. Why? Because the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men. Let's leave the wisdom. Let's quit following the wisdom of the world. Let's quit following the wisdom of even the church. And let's come to the cross. That's where we find salvation. That's where we find redemption. If you need to come this morning, we're going to have elders and prayer partners at the back of the room. They're there to pray with you for no other reason. Not because they're holy and righteous and better than you, but because sometimes you need somebody to go with you to the throne. Sometimes you need somebody who can word that prayer for you. And the Bible says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, and that's why they're there. Take advantage of that opportunity this morning. You don't have to tell them everything. Just go say, pray with me. They'll be fine with that. If you want the whole congregation to pray for you, you don't care about it being public, you're not worried about that, come down here right now. If you want to become a Christian, that is the most important thing that we can do this morning. That's more important than the preaching or the singing or the anything else. And so we will be more than happy to help you find Jesus. But however you come, leave the wisdom of the world, come to the cross. Do it right now while together we stand and sing.